Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon. Liz Wiseman teaches leadership to executives and emerging leaders around the world. She's president of the Wiseman Group, a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley. She's been listed on the Thinkers 50 ranking and named as one of the top 10 leadership thinkers in the world and recipient of the 2016 ATD Champion of Talent Award. She's author of three best-selling books, Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work, Multipliers, How the New Leaders, How the Best Leaders Rather Make Everyone Smarter, and The Multiplier Effect, Tapping the Genius Inside Our Schools. She writes for Harvard Business Review and Fortune, and her work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Inc., and Time Magazine, and she's a frequent guest lecturer at BYU and Stanford. But today, she joins us here on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome. Chad, hey, it's great to be with you and Ken and the whole Blanchard community. So thanks for, for inviting me. We're so excited to have you here. We're here. We're going to talk a little bit about your new book that's coming out. But before we dive into that, you have had a long and storied career up in Silicon Valley. You uh, were an executive at Oracle, um, a global hu- leader for human resources development. So what made that transition for you to go from from leader to actually Figuring out the nuts and bolts of, of why people are how they are. Well, you know, I think, I think, um, strangely enough, it's because, you know, my whole time that I was at Oracle, 17 years in this rapidly growing software company, Oracle, I honestly, I don't, except for the, my last six months, I don't think I ever had a job I was qualified for. You know, <laughs> I, it's just every job, maybe my first job right out of college, I was remotely qualified, but, they just kept throwing me into to responsibilities that I really had no idea how to do. And so it forced you to learn really, really fast. And so when I left Oracle, you know, strangely, I left in search of something I didn't really know how to do because I finally felt like I, I was running the university at Oracle and the human resource function. And I started to feel very qualified for my job. You know, you know where you like almost feel legit and, yeah, yeah. and it actually felt good for a few minutes, but then it, it, um, I don't know. I think I had been on such a learning quest my whole career that it just was so natural for me to go into research to tackle questions I didn't have answers to because that's what I had been doing the whole time in my corporate life. And I had been really fortunate to work with a lot of great professors and authors and researchers who we brought into the university. So I don't know. It just seemed like a natural thing to go do. And so you went out on this kind of search of meaning and, and you uh, became a, a researcher. Do you feel like you were always a researcher in your, in, you, know, you know, when you were in the corporate world or is that something that kind of presented itself? 
You know, I think I must have always had it in me because when I took this job working for Oracle, my plan was to go work there for a couple years and then go back to school and get a PhD. I was going to go to Cal Berkeley. That was like my whole plan. <laughs> and and honestly, I just got diverted from that. I I ended up really loving the corporate world and I love this little quirky company called Oracle because it was such this um, wild ride and it was this crazy meritocracy and a chance that they just gave these huge responsibilities to in hindsight kind of us kids and um, I just enjoyed it and again you know I felt like uh, never had a job I was really qualified for. So is there something to that where you think about uh, um, always needing to to have that push? Do you are you feel like right now the things you're doing in in your day to day are you still pushing that envelope of of things that you not quite uh, um, you know should have the credibility or the qualifications to do? Well, you know, I'll tell you this, Chad. I know this for sure. Um, I'm happy when I'm doing that. On the days that I feel most alive, most just thrilled about the work I'm doing, are days when I don't really quite know what I'm doing. When I'm not when I'm like don't know what I should do, but when I'm tackling new problems. And uh, it's interesting. It's one of the reasons why. I did a second addition to multipliers is there were still some lingering questions that I didn't have answers to and a couple things that were really bugging me when people would stop me in the hall, so to speak, you know, know, I I get trapped in some elevators, um, metaphorically, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, I write about these multipliers and these diminishing leaders. And so you can imagine I am a magnet for diminisher stories. Like people love to tell me their stories about these you know, horrid bosses they had in these diminishers. And I love to hear them. But I often get asked questions that I haven't had answers to, like, Mm. gee, okay, it's one thing to learn to become one of these multiplier leaders. But how do you, how do you, um, what do you do if you don't work in a larger culture like that? And how do you build a whole organization that leads and thinks that way? I'm like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a tough question. Like, gee, okay, tell me about your diminisher again, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I really didn't have a great answer to that question. And that was one of the things that I was determined to go learn more about to really understand how do you do this in the collective? Um, And then I'll tell you the other question I I get a lot, but the number one thing that I get, um, do we say buttonholed about? I get Mm -hmm. a buttonholed about this, like, yeah, okay, I very much want to be a multiplier in my leadership. I want to be one of these leaders who brings out the best in others. But I'm stuck working for a diminisher, and I can't even get past that. Um, It's almost like that's sucking so much of the life out of me that I don't have enough life in me left to give to others. And and so how do how do I... How do I work for a diminisher, Liz? How do I deal with diminishers? And that question has been bugging me for seven years. And um, (laughs) I have a little rule. I have like a little rule with art, and it applies to clothing a little bit too, is if you see like a piece of art or something, and you're still thinking about it two months later, you go back and buy that piece of art. That's that's Mm. my little rule. Um, It applies in some smaller degree to like shoes and clothes. (laughs) But But my rule for research is if, you know, five years have passed and you are still thinking about a question you don't have an answer to, it really is time to do some serious research on it. I I can't keep um, 
lingering in that space, that unknown space for very long. So many people tore into multipliers. It really has become a classic in its seven years. And so it wasn't so much that the workforce or the times have changed. It's, it's you just had these lingering questions that uh, you, you felt like it was an incomplete picture. Yeah, to some extent it was. But, you know, I think the, the impetus for multipliers has changed. Um, you know, we have found that, uh, strangely, now the book is if as if not as relevant, perhaps even more relevant than it was when it came out. When it came out, it was 2010. We were right on the heels of a global economic meltdown. Mm-hmm. And so many organizations were in this mode of having to do more with less. More with less. Yeah. More with less. Do you remember these days? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and some of us are still in this. And, you know, doing more with less is an interesting challenge for, you know, two weeks. <laughs> And then it really starts to wear on people. And so multipliers came out right at the time that people were burdened with how do I get the same job done or more with fewer resources. And along came this idea of multipliers that, gee, there's a lot of people who are underutilized by diminishing leaders, leaders who use less than half of their intellectual capability. And if you lead like a multiplier using all of your intelligence to provoke ideas and intelligence and capability in others, you can actually get 100% of people's capability and and have them grow, almost like a growth dividend in the process. So it really resonated primarily from an economic standpoint. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen over those these last seven years is that the agenda has changed. And it's not... I mean, getting everything out of your existing resources almost like a table stake now, not a differentiator. And and we're seeing more and more organizations driven by an innovation agenda. You know, how do I how do I get every brain ideating, not just those at the top? It's driven by um, a, a generational drive. Uh, you know, I think the millennials were the first to say, "Hey, we actually expect a voice, not." 20 years from now when we are at the top of the organization, but we actually expect leaders to listen to us and do now. And, you know, so many people, Chad, think that millennials are this different breed, um, almost like this strange animal. And I just don't see it this way at all. I just think this is a group of people who have been empowered by technology and sort of emboldened mm-hmm. by some new norms that they just have demanded what everyone has been wanting all along. You know, t- to have their minds matter, to have their voices yeah. heard. And, you know, and it's also, I think, hitting on this um, this issue we all feel this, you know, we're so bombarded with information that, um, you know, technology has caused our business cycles to spin so fast that we often even don't even face the same problem twice. And so companies are trying to figure out how to cycle really fast. And in those models, yeah. like a in that environment, a single-threaded model of intelligence doesn't work, meaning the person at the top does the thinking and everyone else does the executing. That is such a slow model. So I think we're just trying to innovate, operate with speed, and create a workforce where everyone really wants to work of all generations. And I think we're finding the ideas seem to be even more relevant in those, in those conditions. 
Yeah, and you know, even though that you came from Oracle, you came from Silicon Valley. It, it, this is not a technology-driven book. This is, and it shows. What I love about the book, uh, it's, it's a personal preference I have, is is it's very story-driven. You know, you 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 really draw out examples, real-world examples of executives on both sides, both the multiplier side and the diminisher side. How hard is it to to find subjects that uh, that are willing to be vulnerable to actually share those those. Uh, those stories with you. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, lots and lots of people would love to have their story told in the book, but what we find is, um, well, first of all, I should back up. All the stories about diminishers are masked. Mm-hmm. You know, with the exception of uh, the story about Bill Campbell, who um, was the former CEO of Intuit and the famed Silicon Valley coach who coached, you know, Jeffrey Bezos and Steve Jobs and Larry and Sergey and Eric Schmidt at Google and, and on and on and on. Bill, you know, was happy to share his story about how he began his career very much as a diminisher and, and how he learned to be one of these multiplier leaders and really lead and coach other people to do the same. So the diminisher stories are, are masked and, um, mm-hmm. the multiplier stories aren't. But what I found is people who are really true multipliers really kind of have an issue with their story being told. They're pretty shy mm-hmm. about that. And so I've had to do some Jedi mind tricks to <laughs> to convince people to do that. I actually, um, there's only one multiplier story in there where I changed the person's identity because he didn't want to be named. Um, but it, it has taken a little bit of, of cajoling. But I tell you, one of the great things about doing a second edition is now – we have such an abundance of stories of these multiplier leaders and most of them come because their employees call them to to my attention. Like I have to tell you about my boss. My mm. boss is amazing. And we have this multiplier of the year um, contest that we do. And I've just, it's, it's the best thing we do to get to shine a spotlight on some pretty amazing leaders. So let's let's dig into the book a little bit. So let's assume seven years. Uh, you you this is the 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 you're updating the version. It's coming out um, in here in 2017. And um, let's talk about just at the most basic level. What what steps can I take to be a multiplier? Well, I I think there's some fundamental shifts that people can make to be more of a multiplier. As I, the more and more that I study this and I watch people taking those steps, I think the very beginning step is is to put on the, the, the cloak of a multiplier, which is the mindset of a multiplier. And, you know, the diminisher mindset is that nobody's going to figure it out without me, which I, I say, I have to say, I fall into that mindset every now and then. Um, mm-hmm. But the multiplier mindset <clears throat> is this holding a belief that people are smart and they're going to figure it out. Which is not very complicated to say, but, you know, there are days where that's hard to do to really, truly trust that the people around you are smart and they're going to figure it out. That's, that's the mindset of a multiplier. And, and I find that a lot of behaviors just naturally fall from that. Um, it's beginning with an orientation outward. You know, what is happening with the people around me? I find one of the things that holds people back from being a multiplier is that they just get so busy and so caught up in their own schedule that their orientation is how do I just take, how do I project out? How do I 
get the emails out of my inbox and into other people's inbox? How do I get ideas out of my head and into other people's heads? So it's a matter of pausing and looking at what is happening with the people around you. So it's an orientation. It's a perspective outward to the people around you. And in terms of the behaviors, I think the most powerful shift that a leader can make is shifting out of the mode of telling and operating in the mode of asking, um, you know, really using the power of inquiry in, in leading. And, you know, I have to say, um, one of my the moments where I saw this was when I was invited to one of the Blanchard events and Ken um, was hosting this luncheon or no, it might have been a breakfast um, in advance of the meeting. And, you know, he went around the room and just asked people kind of what their question was. And, you know, it was this, you could see this orientation of, of like, what are you learning? What are you thinking about? What is the question that you have? Um, it really is the mode of multiplier leaders. They ask the questions and let the people around them find answers. And of course, um, a lot of people know that I, I like to dare people down this path by encouraging people to take what I call the extreme question challenge. Mm. Leading an event by only asking questions. It's brutally hard, but extremely <laughs> powerful. This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, and there's a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. And they have a special offer right now. Send an email to podcast at KenBlanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. Now through the end of summer of 2018, one grand prize winner chosen randomly will receive a free one-on-one call with Ken Blanchard. Five others will receive a signed copy of Ken's latest book, Servant Leadership in Action. When I read the book, I, I made kind of a connection with diminishers to leadership style. I made a connection to kind of that micromanager. Is, is that, a, is, is that, is that, am I far off there? Do you feel like with, with micromanagers, which could be just from an area of like, just, just, they aren't emotionally intelligent to understand, um, that, that people want to thrive on their own? Or do you feel like that, um, that there is a link between diminishers and people that are just misusing their leadership styles? Oh, absolutely. We find that micro, so I, uh, micromanaging is clearly the number one thing we hear people uh, say as they're describing diminishers. So I have asked, oh, thousands and thousands of people this question of what is it that your diminisher did? And the number one answer by far is they micromanaged. And, you know, we all probably fall into micromanager mode at times. Um, but when we are micromanaging, we are almost certainly having a diminishing effect on the people we lead. You know? So when you think about, yeah, when you think about diminishers, um, and when I, I think about them, uh, I pose this question pretty much to every one of our guests. And, and this is an opportunity for you to say it, it'll be okay or, or not. But are, can everyone make that adjustment or are some people just not cut out to be a, a strong leader? Well, you know, everyone can make the adjustment. Um, the question is how many people will want to do it? It's, it's really hard. And um, I've seen people who have been hardened diminishers make this transition. One of my favorite was actually, it was 
within a week after the book came out and someone had heard me, I think on NPR and he, he got the book, read the book in a couple days and sent this note to me. It just said, it was like, it was almost like it was a telegrapher in Morse code. It was so terse. It said, accidental diminisher seeking reform and reformation. Oh, I love it. That, that was it. And then he just left his it. contact information. And someone on my team was about to respond to that. I'm like, oh, no, 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 please let me, let me respond. <laughs> and it was someone that I ended up working with for the next year and, and, and more. And, and what he had said is, I, I really, I see now kind of the error of my ways and I really, really want to lead like a multiplier. I, you know, he was, um, maybe about a dozen years away from retirement and he said, I want to end my career as a multiplier. And he said, I'd like to build other multipliers in the process. And he said, all my diminisher, all my role models have been diminishers. All of my early life, all of his programming, his imprinting in his life, had been with diminishing leaders. And man, was it a struggle to watch him confront his own diminishing assumptions, some really deeply rooted beliefs he had that, you know, you had to do it yourself or if you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. And and for him to attack those and try on new ones, even wobbly at first. And I watched him make this transition. Um, interesting enough, some people who make that transition have to end up leaving their organizations and going to new companies or teams because their reputation is so deeply rooted that people don't even allow them to make those kinds of changes. And then, of course, I've seen diminishers make absolutely positively no progress. And it really comes down to do they see the problem? Um, You know, the, the only... And obviously, I, I talk to a lot of people who would like to change their bosses from diminishers to multipliers. But, right. you know, there's also a truth there is that the only person you can change from diminisher to multiplier is yourself. And it doesn't matter how big the need is. It doesn't matter um, how much you will it. It doesn't matter if you pray for this. It's like yeah. people have to really see the issue themselves but when they do I've seen people make amazing changes but it can be hard really hard particularly for those who aren't the accidental diminisher they're they're really kind of the 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 bully yeah it's one of the things that I I love that Ken believes in and we believe in at the Blanchard organization that people really want to be exceptional but sometimes they just don't have the tools in place so what I like about the book is is it is it's kind of a a user's manual, especially if you fall on the diminisher side, to to make some specific changes. So if you were on that diminisher side, it really is the awareness initially. But what would you suggest are some of the initial steps you could take to to uh, to to make some of those changes and and uh, and move yourself over to a multiplier? Well, the book you know the book is full of. I love that you call it a user's manual because it's mm-hmm. so full of things that you can do. Like, um, and I'll rattle off just a few. Uh, that you know you can take the extreme question challenge try leading yeah. something by only asking and you know rewiring your mind to think in terms of questions rather than statements you might take the poker chip challenge if you are a big presence and the poker mm-hmm. chip challenge is go into a meeting with a set of chips you know you can hold them in your hand but it's more like metaphorically like i've only got five chips to play in this meeting let me use them 
sparingly, you know, we, we find that the best leaders know when it's time to be big and, you know, and play a chip and, and when it's time to be small and create room for someone else. Or you might start by naming the native genius of each person on your team. What is their towering strength? You know, their, their sort of killer quality that makes them unique with the thing that their brain is wired to do. And there's, there's probably a dozen of these mentioned in the book. And, and, you know, in the second edition, I added a bunch just trying to make it really accessible for people. I put mm-hmm. like little one pagers together. The, the back of the book is full of these little pendencies of just go try this, do this. Yeah. Here's something to, to play with. Um, but it really starts with understanding how your best intentions can be um, misinterpreted by others. There's, um, there's a new chapter in there called The Accidental Diminisher. And it highlights some of the ways that our very, very best of intentions, us trying to, I think, be at our most noble, our most charismatic, our most optimistic, our most energetic, um, you know, leading by example, how some of these noble intentions can actually go awry. And, you know, if I were going to suggest the best starting point is to talk to people around you about how you might be accidentally diminishing. And uh, Chad, I'm going to go ahead and, and prescribe a question that you might ask if, if you're thinking about doing this, because I can promise you that if you go and ask someone, am I a diminisher? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Liz, not you. No, 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 of course not. And even if you ask, oh, am I an accidental diminisher? Oh, no, 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 not at all. But here's, here's a question I have found that people will answer. And the question is, how might I, with the very best of intentions, be shutting down smart, capable people or suppressing like really good ideas that we need? That's a question people will, will answer because it's safe. Um, have a conversation. There's also, there's a little quiz you can take, um, which I, I, which I wrote, but, and I thought it was truly ridiculous at first because it's a little 10-question quiz. I thought, oh, this is kind of silly. Turns out this little quiz has been so helpful to so many people. I was so wrong about this little quiz. Um, it's Are You an Accidental Diminisher? And it's a little 10-question quiz. I think you can take it in three minutes, and you can find it out on the book's website. But that that'll help you form a few hypotheses about, hmm, wow, this thing that I think I'm doing that seems so leaderly actually is the very thing that's diminishing the people around me. I love it. Really, uh, a lot of very specific ideas to take directly back to to the workday. I appreciate that. We're talking to Liz Wiseman, the author of Multipliers. And Liz, you know, so many people that are are listening in to the podcast, uh, they have such an interest in development and and, and learning and, and talent and development. When you think about your body of work and you think about this updated book and, and what you want to get across, you know, where do you feel like that people out there that are so interested in development, maybe not for their own personal uh, side, but, but, but for organizations they lead, how can they kind of use some of the latest thinking in your book directly and right away in their organizations? Well, you know, there's an idea that I explore a little bit in the book Multipliers, but then I did a whole project, a whole research project on this in this other book, um, Rookie Smarts, and I'm going to boil it down. I'm going to boil like two or three years of research down to this one. One thing I learned is that I learned that 
we tend to do our best thinking and our best work when we are underqualified. Hmm. When we are doing a job that feels too big, uh, when we're on a steep learning curve, when, um, when we're in a stretch assignment. And I think there's, there's two implications for this. One is for, for managing our own development and our own careers is our greatest development is going to come as we leave that comfort zone of mastery and expertise and the things that we've worked really hard to obtain, that we actually are going to do our best work when we put ourselves into the rookie zone, this um, liminal space where we're, um, where we know the least when we're kind of new and naive. Um, and then I think there's a leadership implication here for how we not only grow ourselves and our capability, but how we lead and grow the talent around us is that the best leaders, um, they hire people who are ferocious learners and then they feed them a steady diet of challenge. Um, I have seen that these multiplier leaders do this. They lead people out of their comfort zones. They ask big questions. They draw them into these unknown spaces of possibility, like a lot of possibility, but not a lot of capability. And and then they create safety for them to work in this space. Um, so maybe one of the things that you can do to be a better leader is to simply give someone an uncomfortable stretch, something where they kind of their eyes pop out and they mm-hmm. question your sanity. Um, it's probably where they're going to do their best work for you and it's where they're going to achieve um, heightened growth as a professional. And, you know, this other thing we found is I um, did this large survey looking at people's uh, job satisfaction and I correlated that with their reported level of stretch, meaning what's their degree of challenge in their work. Interesting. And what I found, so for the research, I mean, this like made my heart Scream, you know, I, I was singing this day when I got it because it's this beautiful linear correlation that as challenge level goes up, so does our job satisfaction. And yeah, and as challenge level goes down, meaning where we're working, where we know what we're doing, where we're experts, where we're the go to person, job satisfaction goes down. I actually think when we get really, 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 really good at something, we can very quickly learn, um, come to resent our work. And it's where we, when we step outside, that we really begin to feel um, uncomfortable but alive. Um, so that's something I would share from the research is our best thinking tends to come from places where we are a little bit underprepared, underqualified. And that, that goes to kind of speak to, you know, really wrapping up this conversation. That's how your career started. And you said you uh, that's what drove you and that's why we're talking today. It's it's, it's this ongoing uh, journey of, of growth and, and always feeling just a little bit, maybe a little bit uh, far out, out ahead of your skis a little bit, so to speak. Yeah, a little bit ahead of your skis. I, it's a great way. And, and you know, I, 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 maybe we can end on that metaphor is, uh, you know, I'm a, a lifelong skier. And every time I get feeling like I'm on something too steep, my inclination is to lean back and try to slow down. And the the good skiers that I've skied with always remind me that's when you lean forward because you have more control is when you are really kind of leaning into that difficult, um, that steepness. And I think 
that's what the best leaders do is they create safety where people can really kind of take on difficult challenges. I love it. That's a great, great final word. And thank you so much for uh, kind of uh, putting the nice button on that. So I appreciate uh, you taking some time. Uh, um, I, so many people are going to want to 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 learn more about you if they don't know already. So where can people find you on the social media and, and uh, what's the best way to get a hold of Liz Wise? Well, you can find me on Twitter um, at, at Liz Wiseman. That's pretty straightforward. And um, then there's uh, our, our book websites, multipliersbooks.com and uh, thewisemangroup.com. What are you excited about right now? Any 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 projects right now other than getting this book out to market? Well, let me see. I have a daughter getting married, and that is exciting. Um, uh, so that's kind of this fun little focal point of joy for our family. And then I have another big research project to dig into. As soon as that, as soon as the honeymoon is over, so to speak, I'm I've got another big question that I'm going to go sink my teeth into. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, can't wait to hear about it. Can't wait for you to come back on, on the podcast and tell us about that next uh, next project. So thank you so much for joining us, Liz. Chad, thank you. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. You know, I'm a big fan of Liz Wiseman. I just love her whole concept of the multiplier because the assumption of a multiplier is that your people are smart and they can figure things out and all. And uh, it really is all about servant leadership because <clears throat> when you really think about it, the orientation of a multiplier is outward rather than on themselves. And uh, their behavior is rather than telling, they're asking, as, as Liz always says. And when you look at a servant leader, their vision, the leadership part of servant leadership, is that you want people to have satisfaction and great results. And what they have found in their research is that people who can bring their brains to work and solve problems and all are happier and have higher morale, and they also get better results. And so that's what the vision is. But then to make that happen, the multiplier in many ways is turning that pyramid upside down in the servant aspect of servant leadership. And now they work for their people, not for themselves. And diminishers, you know, the people who think all the brains are in their office and all, they want everybody serving the hierarchy and up to, to them, and they don't really utilize their uh, people. And that's, uh, that's self-serving leadership, and that's not very uh, effective. And so I, I just think what she uh, is doing here is just great. And she said it all, all starts with, uh, with your intentions, you know, and, and what is your intention? And I think the intention is, are you here to serve or be served? 
and a multiplier is there to serve rather than to be served. And in the process, what happens, they serve the organization well and the people well because the people get excited, the people get creative, the people start getting great results, and also when that happens, the organization wins. And that's what I love about servant leadership and multipliers. It's all about win-win stuff. And so go back and have your people listen to this, the managers that are working around you, because this could really be a tremendous uh, change in their attitude because too many people have grown up to think that, boy, if you're going to be manager, you better be the smartest kid on the block. Forget it. You know, and the millenniums are really doing a great job because they want to not have your job, but they want to be able to bring their brains to work. And they're forcing more people to be multipliers rather than diminishers. So thanks a lot, Liz. This was great. Uh, I think this is something you're going to want to listen to over and over again. And Chad, you're not too bad either. Take care of yourselves.